This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Overland Park, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. Today's gospel reading is from the book of Luke. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him, which read this, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Patrick Wildman, and I'm usually at the Overland Park uh, congregation, but it's good to be here with you today. As Catherine mentioned, it's the first Sunday in Lent, and that's just a bit of uh, Lenten trivia. Uh, you don't refer to the first Sunday of Lent, but the first Sunday in Lent, because the Sundays don't technically count as part of Lent. Lent is a 40-day season, but then if you go from Ash Wednesday to Easter, you go, wait a minute, that's 46 days. Well, that's because we don't count the Sundays. So if like you're giving up something for Lent, just go for it on Sunday, you know? <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, in this season, what we do is we join with Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem, his journey to the cross. You know, following the transfiguration, we read in, in the Synoptic Gospels, um, you know, following the transfiguration, Luke puts it this way, he says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So after uh, the events on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was like, okay, it's time. And so he, he, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so we join him in that. And we began that journey on Wednesday, last Wednesday, and we continue it today. We're beginning a sermon series today called Last Words, Jesus' Last Words from the Cross. And each of the next five Sundays... Uh, we'll be dealing with some of these last words. And we're also displaying, you may have already seen it, but we're displaying some artwork from uh, modern iconographer Scott Erickson. He has done a piece for each of these last words, and um, they're hanging in the studio window, so I encourage you to go check them out. Now, as uncomfortable as it may be, you know, we're going to spend the next five weeks focusing on Jesus and him hanging on a cross. I remember going to see the Passion of the Christ in theater. And when it ended, literally 
and I've never experienced this before. Literally, no one moved. No one moved. Everybody just sat there. And not a word was spoken. The only thing you heard was people weeping. I mean, the cross is really disturbing. It's considered one of the most brutal, shameful forms of execution that human beings have ever done to one another. I mean, it's just horrific. Well, this morning we're going to think about Jesus hanging on this cross and one of the things that he said there, today you will be with me in paradise. That's an odd thing to say from a cross. These words were spoken in an exchange between Jesus and two other crucified men. So in this story, we have three dying men, all of whom say something. And so we're going to examine each one and see what we can learn. And what we're going to learn is how to make the easiest mistake, the hardest admission, and the greatest gift. We're going to learn about the easiest mistake, the hardest, the hardest admission, and the greatest gift. So we'll start with the easiest mistake. You know, this first dying man uh, to speak, he said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And this man, he misses who Jesus is and why he was on the cross. And I want to show you how easy it is to make this mistake, to miss Jesus, for a couple of reasons. Because they, they're, they're just as valid today for us as it was for this man. First, he misses Jesus because of the crowd, the influence of the crowd. He's just swept up in what this whole crowd is doing. Notice that Luke made sure to point out that this dying man mocked Jesus. He was hurling insults at Jesus. Well, he, he wasn't alone in that. He was just joining in what the whole crowd was doing. The whole crowd was there uh, hurling insults at Jesus. Luke describes two groups of people, the people and rulers, and that's a reference to like the, the Jewish religious rulers. So they were, they were mocking him. And then the Roman soldiers were also... Uh, hurling insults at him. The whole crowd was doing this. You know, the Jewish leaders, they rejected Jesus as the chosen one because they said, well, if he was the chosen one, then he wouldn't be here. He, he wouldn't be dying on a cross. That's just not how that story goes. And the Romans, they didn't think about messiahs. They didn't care about messiahs, but they did know kings, Caesars, and they were like, well, the same thing. Kings don't suffer humiliating deaths on crosses. That's not what they do. Those two groups of people didn't agree on much, but they did agree on this, that anyone dying on a cross can't be the one. And this is what Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Then he goes on to say, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Everyone agrees 
that the cross makes no sense in our world. It's just upside down. It doesn't, it's not in line with the values of our worldly systems. You know, according to our world, power is power and weakness is weakness, right? There is no weakness in power or power in weakness. Nobody dying on a cross can be the one. It's foolishness. And I think it's easy for us to get swept up in the crowd, so to speak, and make the same mistake as this man, to miss Jesus. Because really all you have to do is just kind of go with the flow of the mindset of our, of our world. The second reason that he misses Jesus is due to his criteria. The criteria he uses for his decision-making about whether or not he really is the Messiah. Notice what he said again, and I, I'm going to paraphrase this time. I'll believe you're the one if you get us out of here. <laughs> I'll believe if you get us off these crosses. Now, you get it, right? Like, he has an urgent need, <laughs> you know? He doesn't have just a felt need. He has a very urgent felt need. He's dying. He'll believe if Jesus fixes things. And you know, when we start to talk about that, that starts to hit pretty close to home, doesn't it? Many of us have done that very thing. I knew a young man one time whose sister was injured, severely and permanently injured in an accident. And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And he said, I just don't believe in God. And I was like, well, why? He said, because if there was a God, he wouldn't have let that happen to my sister. I said, well, what about other people? And he said, well, I don't really care about that. I care about my sister. Now, I'm not picking on him. I'm simply illustrating what a lot of people do. They have a need, and it maybe is a pressing need. And so in a time of crisis, they turn to God and essentially say, if you're God, then take care of my need. And if he doesn't, then they don't believe. And honestly, what could be more natural than that? I mean, isn't that kind of what Maslow taught us? That our most immediate, urgent needs went out, right? If you're in harm's way or you're starving to death, you're not thinking about, how can I be more self-actualized, you know? I think many people miss Jesus because they make the easy mistake of believing that if he's the one, well, then he should take away the things that are causing me pain. 
he should take away the things that are making me suffer. And when he doesn't, we say, well, he must not be real. He must not be there. We want a God who has awesome power, but not sovereignty. Or put it this way, we want a God who is powerful, but basically functions as our divine personal assistant, who does what we want him to do. And that's a very natural way for us to think and to feel, but if we can step back from the emotion, perhaps of the pain that you're feeling right in this moment, like if you can just kind of step back from it just a bit and say, and, and, and consider and think about that, you, you start to realize, oh, wait a minute, that can't be how it works. Like there can't really be a God who exists just to do what I want. Like that doesn't make any sense. But in our pain, a lot of times, it's not about what makes sense. It's about what we're feeling. And so it can be easy to miss Jesus, I think. It's easy to make that mistake. And that's what this first criminal does. But the second criminal, he made the hardest admission. Now he, the second criminal really starts to teach us what to do. Notice the different uh, posture that he takes with Jesus. The first criminal makes a demand. You know, I'll believe if you get us off these crosses. But the second criminal is humble. He makes no demands. In fact, he, he rebukes the other man. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? And then he does one of the hardest things that we can ever do. He admits the truth about himself. That is one of the hardest things we can ever do. It says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He admits that he's guilty. And admitting that we are guilty is very hard for us to do. It just is. I mean, the kid can be holding the cookie in his hand, and mom says, did you get that cookie after I told you not to? No. We just don't want to admit that we did something wrong. It's just in us. But the second criminal made the hard admission of guilt. You know, that first criminal shows us how easy it is to miss Jesus, but this guy demonstrates how to receive Jesus and what he has for us. And it begins by making this hard admission that, hey, I'm, I'm guilty. We have to acknowledge the truth about ourselves before God. Paul writes in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned 
not some, not many, not even most, all, everyone. And then he writes in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So I remember very early in our marriage, Stephanie and I hosted for dinner a friend of hers. And honestly, I don't remember much from that long ago, but I do remember this night. Um, the friend knew that I was in ministry and she was very curious. And so she started asking questions and we got into a, really a great conversation and it was a very cordial conversation. But at one point she just said, look, I just can't believe all this sin stuff. I'm not a sinner. And then she said, it's not like I'm Hitler. Good for you. That's good. Uh, um, and translation is, look, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And I said, you are a good person. You're a great person. But that doesn't mean you're not a sinner. Doesn't mean that at all. But I think that attitude is typical. You know, in our pride, I think we want to believe that somehow we can be good enough. We can be good enough to earn God's favor. And I think that's why it's so hard for us to admit guilt, because if we do, then what we're saying is, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it, and so I need help. We become needy, and our pride doesn't like that. But here's the deal. I mean, again, we have to step back from things and kind of think about them. Do any of us honestly believe, I mean, when Jesus was asked, hey, how do you summarize the Old Testament? All those laws, how do you summarize them? He said, oh, well, just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So just love God with everything in your being and love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Just do that, no problem. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever loved God with every aspect of my being Ever. I, I cannot confidently tell you I've ever done that. Let alone done it every day of my life. And let's not even talk about loving others. I mean, come on. You could easily get a hold of my wife and she'll tell you. We all know we haven't done this. It doesn't mean we're bad people. But it does mean that we're sinners, like we've missed the mark. <laughs> we've missed the mark. Psalm 130 says it best, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? No one. No one. So the easiest mistake is to miss Jesus because the cross is foolish. And Jesus doesn't just give us what we want. And then the hardest admission is acknowledging the truth about ourselves before God, that we have sinned and fallen short and that we need help. And now let's talk about the greatest gift. 
Again, we learn what not to do in this first criminal, and we learn what we should do in the second. The second was humble. He owned and acknowledged his guilt. And then he did something that I think is just mind-blowing. It's truly remarkable. And every time I read this, I just, I am floored by it. Imagine in your mind this scene, okay? Visualize it. Jesus is hanging on a cross. There's a guy next to him over here and one over here. And they're also hanging on crosses. They're dying. It's just a matter of minutes, maybe hours, and they're, they're, their life is over. And in that situation, this dying man who looks over at another dying man on a cross, beaten up, he looks at him and somehow this criminal looks at Jesus in that state and yet he saw a future for Jesus beyond that cross. And he thought, well, maybe if there's a future for Jesus beyond this cross, maybe there's one for me too. How in the world does that happen? How is that possible? They're, go they're both going to be dead in short order. But somehow he believed that this wasn't the end. And so he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy came not at the 11th hour. He came at the 11th hour and 59th minute. He had done absolutely nothing for Jesus' cause in the world. Nothing. And he would never be able to do anything for Jesus. Like he only had a little bit of time left. But by the work of the Spirit, he came to believe. And so he turned to Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And without any hesitation, Jesus spoke to him a word of salvation. He said, okay, done. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And some people are, this is really bothering to them. They really don't like it. They're like, are you telling me that this guy who did nothing gets the same salvation as the disciples who left everything and followed Jesus and their reward was they suffered horrific deaths. You're telling me they get the same? Yes. That's right. And if you don't understand that, you don't yet understand the good news of the gospel. You don't understand how God's grace works. 
Paul tells us, and Ryan uh, read it for us in Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Why were the disciples saved? Why was this criminal saved? Why is anybody saved? Because of the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. That's why. That's it. Notice Paul says that salvation has already happened. It's already done. Your name is written in the book of life. Because we are in Christ, we are already saved. We're already forgiven. We're already raised up and seated with him in the heavenly realms. How is that possible? Well, because that's where Jesus is. And we are in him. And therefore we are with him. Wherever he is. This is the greatest gift we can ever receive. Like the second criminal of the cross. It's just this gift of salvation that's freely given. Like, here it is. God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We, to receive it, need to acknowledge the truth about ourselves. We need to know that we need mercy. And then we turn to Jesus in faith and just say, Lord, remember me. Remember me. And when we do, in that very moment, Jesus turns to us and says, Okay, done. Today, you'll, you'll be with me. Today, right now. You're with me in paradise.